You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Laura J. Mixon. Her latest novel, as MJ Locke is up against it, her forthcoming novel is A Child Left Behind. Thank you for joining me, Laura. Hi. Glad to be here. Laura, one of the things that I think uh, drove the piece we just heard, Child Left Behind, was a great sense of family dynamics coming right up against uh, a great science fiction premise. And I'd like you to talk about bringing those two together in such a, a really powerful and dramatic way. Oh, thank you very much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, this, this story definitely has its, has its hooks in me. I think um, I've always loved science fiction and technology and, you know, giant robots and all of that cool stuff. But to me, that I like to use all of that to really explore how it affects people's lives and, you know, we all have family, right? If even if our family's not with us or are far away or whatever, so I think um, I think I just sort of had this moment where I pictured this young woman who had basically lost everything—her dreams, her family, you know, her parents and everything—and um, you know, she had to find her own way. And then suddenly, this disaster happens, and she's thrown back into it and forced to sort of re-engage with with her family and, you know, has to basically find a way to save her brother. One of the things I think that uh, informs your work is this uh, sense of uh, taking a, a technological kind of extrapolation and, and working through it. So I'd like you to talk about picking the technology you're going to work with and then finding out, creating the human characters who are going to uh, use that to, I guess, externalize what's happening inside. Hmm, hmm, that's a really interesting question and not an easy one to answer. I mean, um, so in Child Left Behind, um, I'm trying, I'm, for the first time I'm writing something that's pretty near future. I mean, all of my other stuff is way out there so I can just do whatever I want and I don't have to worry too much about the intervening stuff. But here, I, I, when you step only, you know, a few steps into the future, it's it's a little more challenging in a way because you have to connect the dots with the present. And I think um, um, for me, uh, uh, figuring out, uh, I have the feeling that my technology is probably really only 10 years out. (laughs) Um, But uh, um, I was curious. I've always been fascinated by the idea of travel to other planets. And I actually personally believe that that's a place where we want to go ultimately. Um, and so I start thinking about, well, what kind of biological changes would we have to do to ourselves to make that happen? We'd have to change ourselves, really, ideally, to be able to live on other worlds. Changing a whole world's ecology, you know, is a much bigger challenge than changing our biology. Um, and so that's very much one of the things that this is about. And I think it's also about... Um, she and her brother in some ways are very similar. They've both been left behind by their parents. Um, and his, you know, and in fact, she doesn't know it yet, but there's a whole thing that she's going to discover about who she is and why her parents really left her behind. 
Um, and her brother obviously becomes a political football. And so she just finds that there are these big wheels turning um, that are that are, I've always been fascinated also just by how people can try to live in the big machine that civilization is and, you know, very powerful forces at work and how do you keep from being crushed um, between those wheels. Um, so, uh, so although it's about the technology, you know, and I, I'm fascinated and love technology, it's also, I think, about the very human systems and human failings that will still always be there, I think. Well, that's evident in the drama. I mean, the character that we get is so powerful. It, it really uh, engages us and makes us care about them really quickly. Now, when you created this character, did you have did you have an idea of the whole arc, or did you just like start out with this situation that seems so powerful? Yeah, no, I often, and this is true too. Hannah, to me, was it was that scene of the officers at the door. Um, telling her her parents were dead and they were living on another planet and her, on the surface at least, not caring. That was it. And I knew that that was what I had to unpack. Now, I'd like you to talk about designing your far future uh, technologies and the kind of world building you do. And then to, within that <clears throat> far future, to create uh, characters that we can still relate to now and because no matter how far in the future you set your stuff it's still really going to be about what's happening to you and your family right now. Exactly, exactly. I think science fiction really um, one of the things I love about science fiction is it gives you parallax on our culture, right? Because you're changing things enough to sort of first of all to entertain um, and and uh, to kind of just mess around with reality, but it's sort of like when you when you take people out of the current setting, you put them in a strange world, and you talk about the differences, and that way it gives us kind of a better perspective on the here and now. Oh, that's the the famous uh, Rod Sterling. He can make Martians and Venusians say things that uh, Americans and Russians could never say. Exactly, exactly. That's well said. That's well put. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd like you to talk, too, about um, designing the kind of characters that uh, are in Up Against It. Tell us a little bit about creating this novel, and uh, do you, when you build such a complicated, far-future world, do you sit down for a while beforehand and sketch it out and say, okay, this is the way it is, and then let your characters at play, or do the characters at play go at play and then create the world kind of that way? It's a boomerang. I create um, enough of the world to kind of think I know enough. Um, some stuff a lot, some stuff a little. Put the people in there, let them bounce off against each other in the world. And, the, you know, start having the technology go wrong and then realize, oops, I didn't know everything I needed to. So there's this kind of, you know, slingshot effect between the two. Could you talk? One of the things I thought too about uh, hearing uh, "Child Left Behind" was that the prose was really nice and, and it's really sculpted very well. As as a writer, uh, especially when you're working in science fiction, you have this really uh, great challenge because you're describing stuff that doesn't exist, hasn't existed, may never exist, but you only have the English language. Oh God, that is the big science fiction writer's challenge, and I think it's true of fantasy writers, historical writers as well. Is giving people enough for them to understand the world, but not 
overburdening them and slowing down the story. And I think that's something certainly I've struggled with as a writer. I think every every book has its own challenge. I think this book in particular, I'm, I'm forcing myself to do first person so that I keep that focus really tight on Hannah and her story um, so I don't let the world gu- building get away from me. Oh, one of the things I was thinking about, uh, first-person narrative, is when you first think about it, it seems like first-person is going to be a very easy way to characterize somebody. But I think when you step back from that, it's actually by far the hardest because you can't show outside them, you can't see, get any real perspective. You can't get the parallax that you were talking about that the science fiction genre itself gives. Yeah, it's a trade-off because if you have multiple characters, it also can feel more diffuse. Um, but it certainly gives you a lot more room to show the different aspects of the world. And that was true with Up Against It. When I wrote, uh, when I started Up Against It, I wrote the first, I want to say, 183 manuscript pages from only from Jane Navio's point of view. And then I realized I cannot tell the story just from her point of view. There's just no way. There's too many other things going on that are happening off, off page, off scene. Um, and I had to find those other characters and engage with them and figure out what their part to play was. Now, uh, one of the things that you're dealing with as a science fiction writer is uh, you're writing about technology. Science fiction is by necessity about technology. We live in a world where the technology of five years ago seems Jurassic. Oh, God, that is so true. And it's a big challenge, especially for a writer like me. I mean, I, you know, I have a day job. I have kids. I, you know, I write a book every three to five years. By the time my book is done, I often find it's, you know, there are things I have to go through and update. You can't, it's hard to keep ahead of that curve. It really is. We're living in the future. One of the things I'm wondering, too, is that... Um, as you say, we're living in the future, and it, but one of the things that interests me is that I remember back in the 70s, I seeing 2001, A Space Odyssey, and thinking, wow, that's, you know, that's such a great future. Now that's the past. I'm wondering if you, as a writer, if you ever, like, approach your books, like the, the your newest book, or even these far future books, thinking, well, what... How am, how are my readers like 10 or 20 years from now going to, going to view this story? How can I write this story so that it still has relevance when maybe, um, as we all know, there are no cell phones in Neuromancer? It's, it's true. It's funny um, that you mentioned that. Up against it, I mentioned 100, page 183 because I remember that number. And the reason why was that's the page I was on when um, 9-11 happened. And... <laughs> so many things about that book and you wouldn't think that you know it's far future far future whatever you know three or four hundred years in the future still when I looked back at that book I had to set it down I set it down for about three years and I had to go back and there were all kinds of things I had to purge and change because our society had changed so much that things that I had written about were out of date and seemed wrong it's it's hard to do and we can try but as writers in reality it's hard enough to just kind of write the here and you know responding to the here and now it's like when uh, the berlin wall put an entire generation of uh, espionage and spy writers out of business <laughs> that's right and a great example is uh, um, uh, william Gibbs- gibson's uh, neuromancer and if you think about how if you look at the science fiction of the time very very limited um, use in most 
um, science fiction novels of I mean, we had no idea what was going to happen when the Internet came about. There were very few writers. I mean, there were some. I mean, the cyberpunk writers. And, um, but even, even then, it was a complete, you know, it was like that old saying, you know, science fiction predicts the future like a shotgun kills a duck, you know. <laughs> I've never heard that say, but that's a good one. I can't remember. It's actually, uh, Steve told it to me, but there was some science fiction writer that said that. We'll have to find out the credit, credit the writer later. Uh, now, um, how far are you into Child Left Behind, and do you think there will be a sequel to it? Um, I don't know if there'll be a sequel. Um, at this point, it feels like a single novel to me, um, and it feels like a short novel. Um, right now, I think I have, about, I want to say I have I have about seven or eight chapters, and I think it's probably going to be about 20, 21 chapters. It's probably going to be one of my short books. Um, and I think the story will be done when the book is done. Up against it is the first in a series. I actually, um, I, I very, in very large sketch, I mean, not like in the details, but um, in a big picture sense, I scoped out originally nine books in the Wave series, which Up Against It is the first novel of, but I'll be lucky if I write nine books but <laughs> with all the other things going on. So I know I'm going to write three in that series and then maybe more. Well, when you start a series, do you have like a, a giant spreadsheet on your wall or, or a, a timeline so that you know where you're going to go? Yeah, I go totally crazy with that kind of thing. I really do. I have a lot of fun with the, with the colors and the spreadsheets, databases of the characters and all that fun stuff. But for, for Up Against It, my basic idea was I'm going to set each book in a different world um, of the solar system, sort of, you know. So uh, I'd like you to talk about, um, as a science fiction writer, uh, one of the things that, that interests me is that how much of a community science fiction is, and it, there's so much of a, a family feel with science fiction. So I'd like you to talk about being part of that community. You've been a part of that community for a long time, and between you and your husband, you're a community, you're part of a community. Talk about that kind of a meta, metastatic feel, I guess. Wow. I discovered fandom late. I discovered it after, um, after Clarion, in fact. Um, I had always been a reader. I, I was the classic, you know, golden age, discovered it at 11 and found my tribe, but I didn't know there were other people. I just found the books. And then uh, after I went to Clarion, I found out there were a whole lot of other, like, people who were this felt the same way I did and were just like so absorbed and wanted to talk about it and got really kind of nerdy and into it um, I went to Denvention Den, no Bubonicon uh, it's a New Mexico convention a great convention by the way um, in 1981 and then Bubon and then uh, Denvention that year that Worldcon and found out that there was this whole amazing crowd of people who I just felt completely at home with for all that we we're all so different and for all that fandom has you know you know just like any group of people it has its fabulous things and its troublesome things but I just feel at home I feel at home one of the things I really like about science fiction in the science fiction world is that despite its interest in technology and its interest in the future and its interest in everything but uh, essentially uh, books, 
Uh, it's a really, it's a very written form. There's a, it's a form, it's a form of literature. It's a very active form of literature. And I'd like you to talk just about a little bit about the literary aspects of it. Oh, I, I think it's actually a really important literature. I think that, um, I mean, I think it was Fred Pohl who said that science fiction is the literature of change. Um, I mean, a number of uh, famous writers have said that. Um, the one I encountered was a, a great essay by, by Frederick Pohl um, that basically, you know, science fiction teaches us how to deal with just disruptive technology, disruptive change, social change. Um, uh, certainly, I think science fiction can be criticized for being um, too straight and too white um, for for many of its roots and dec- you know you know a lot of the uh, the history was you know sort of straight white guys discovering cool things but um, but um, that said I think that um, it it tries to be much more aspirational and inclusive um, and um, I think it also is um, helps us deal like science fiction readers were not surprised when Dolly the Sheep was cloned. Do you remember that? How there was this huge stink and uproar and everybody was terrified that I guess cloned sheep were going to take over the planet but those of us who'd read science fiction were familiar with the concepts. We'd had time to think about it. We'd had time to think about the the ethical considerations and we'd had, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not a panacea but there's a way in which it kind of helps us look ahead a little bit, I think. Well, I think, too, the fact that it's a written form and that it's consumed as a written form, it's read, I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, there's a lot of media science fiction, a lot of movies, but I think that the importance of the literature itself really is a powerful tool and and makes it, I think, uh, gives it a a higher uh, profile. Oh, I think that's really true. I think there's a lot more room to explore ideas um, and explore in more complexity and depth in literature than in the media form. I mean, I love movies. I love science fiction TV, you know, all that. I play video games. um, But particularly the written word, um, you know, that feeling of kind of just losing yourself in it. The writer can take a lot more time to develop concepts and to really challenge ourselves. You know, it's a much more... um, uh, It's... It's kind of like movies are have to be, you know, movies are essentially a short story. And, and so there's not a lot of time to go into things. And also it tends to be to appeal to a larger audience, which they have to do to recoup their investment. It tends to be a lot more... I don't want to say, I don't know how to put it, mainstream, just, or, you know, just, I don't want to cut movies, too, because I enjoy them. I'm so, I mean, like, like, I loved, you know, I've loved a lot of the science fiction movies that have come out, but, but I do think literature gives us a lot more of that kind of immersive experience that helps us really change the way we think about the world. Well, for me, I think it has to do with the the passive versus active. You can just sit there. A movie just washes over you as long as you keep your eyes, as long as it keeps you awake, you'll see it. A book you really have to actually engage in. And essentially... It becomes part part of you because you're creating the images. The, The writer is merely giving you 
the clues and you're turning it into your world. I agree. Sorry. No, that's exactly right. And I think that's what you do so well with that, with uh, Child Left Behind. I, with just a few words and a few minutes, I have that whole world, I have that whole thing going. I'm ready, to, I'm signed up and ready to, to read the rest of the book. <laughs> Thank you. I've been speaking with Laura J. Mixon. Her, new, for, her newest book is Up Against It. Her forthcoming book is Child Left Behind. Thank you for joining me, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>